This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. TD Ameritrade is reinventing how you invest. Whether you want to place a trade on Facebook Messenger or get market news from your smart speaker, TD Ameritrade has everything you need to invest on your terms. See what's new at tdameritrade.com/innovation. It's Thursday, August second. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, Emily Flippin and Ron Gross. Happy Thursday. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing fine because it's Thursday. <laughs> is, that, is that a big day for you? Yeah, it's you know a little bit closer to the weekend. <laughs> okay, that's, that's all. Okay, um, we've got earnings. We've got some sad news from the world of retail. Maybe it's only sad for for me and Ron. I don't know. We'll see. Um, let's start with uh, Tesla. Tesla had its worst quarterly loss ever. Tesla lost more than seven hundred million dollars in the second quarter. And Ron, uh, stock is up nearly ten percent. Don't don't give me details. <laughs> I do want to go on record as saying at the top that I have asked for my one thousand dollar deposit back from Tesla. Um, it was time for me to either give them a twenty five hundred dollar additional deposit or take my money back. And I made an emotional, not analytical decision to retrieve my $1,000. Um, and that's quite frankly because the whole thing is fatiguing me. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of uh, the way Elon Musk has handled the situation over the last year or two or more. Um, it's interesting that the stock is up today. Um, in no particular order, uh, the investors are reacting to the fact that he did reach his 5,000 Model 3 goal um, of producing uh, 5,000 Model 3 sedans in a single week. Um, he reiterated his target of producing 6,000 Model 3 sedans per week uh, by late August. Uh, he said in the second half they would be profitable and cash flow positive. And get this, he expects Tesla will record a profit in all subsequent quarters. Nothing salesy about that. <laughs> um, and, and that I think uh, investors are, are happy that he, he said that they would not need to raise additional capital. What um, will made to be seen remains to be seen if that's going to actually uh, bear fruit or not. But he made the statement they have two billion in the bank right now. He thinks that will be enough to get them where they need to be. They've cut costs. About 9% of the workforce was slashed. They're cutting back on some CapEx. Uh, they are building a huge facility in Shanghai that they're going to, I think, uh, use Chinese debt uh, or debt that they'll get in China uh, to fund that. So, investors overall, I think, are, are kind of a little bit calmer than they were. And then we get to the big part, which he actually apologized for his um, kind of rude uh, remarks in the last call. Yeah, Emily, what did you think about that? Because that's as much as the actual results that Tesla put up. Elon Musk apologizing on the conference call is getting as many, if not more, headlines. Yeah, I always like to call Tesla stock the Elon sentiment gauge uh, because it does feel like it moves more depending on how people per perceive Musk than the underlying business itself. So I definitely think part of that pop was related to the apology. Um, and I think he knew that. You know, it was it was a necessary apology. I, I even though he claims that they don't need to raise any more capital, I'd be surprised if that really ends up being the case. And I know Tesla took a big hit, a lot of criticism, not just on Wall Street but from investors alike. That you know that type of attitude coming from a CEO um, is not received well, especially within the capital market. So I think that that apology was necessary. I personally appreciate the apology, uh, but I, I don't think it was uh, genuine. I think it was a calculated move on his part. Yeah. Well, I, well I'm, yeah. I mean, I, I, I sort of looked at uh, and I listened to a little bit of uh, the apology. Uh, it was being played on CNBC this morning. And 
I, I, I just thought to myself, well, it's a smart move. Um, and for and for those who are wondering, well, what is he apologizing for? Um, uh, think back to the previous quarter and uh, his behavior on that on that conference call. That's essentially as much as anything was what he was apologizing Calling for. Calling people boring and yeah, saying these and, questions are boring and yeah. you know insulting the analysts on the call and that sort of thing. And uh, you know, I, my takeaway from that call was not so much, boy, this is going to make it harder for him to raise money down the line if he needs to, because look, someone's. Someone's going to lend them money. Maybe not on the greatest of terms, but you'll always find someone to lend you money. I just looked at it as uh, maybe he just needs to stop doing these calls. Not all CEOs are on the conference call. True. And listen, I, I believe in forgiveness. I, I like that he came out and said he's sorry. I don't like that he needed to do that. Um, something's not right there. Now, maybe he's a genius, and maybe he's eccentric, and maybe he's aggressive. Um, I like to put my money behind people that are just a little bit more measured, a little bit more calm. Um, perhaps people will make trillions of dollars following him into battle. Um, I'm not one of them. So, in terms of in terms of this promise, essentially, that he made that, like, hey, we're going to be profitable for the rest of time. <laughs> Unless there's a market downturn or a recession, he said. Exactly. Well, yeah. okay. So, I mean, I, I, as much as anyone, this is a CEO who seems almost Teflon coated in terms of. Um, the things that he says in terms of you know moving the goalposts in terms of well these are the metrics we're going to hit and when they don't quite hit them there's any, like I, does that remind you of anyone <laughs> I don't know <laughs> to say I mean it just seems like even if they even if they don't put up the quarterly report you know you know the quarterly profits I I don't see I don't see the stock getting punished I don't know maybe I'm wrong I think. If over time the production goals don't get met and they need to raise cash, there'll be a hit. The thing they got going for them is something that is a little kind of behind the scenes, which is there is negative sentiment among the analytical community, some some pockets of the analytical community, and that actually can be good for them because if all they need to do is put up uh, some results that are contrary to what those analysts think, and all of a sudden the analysts flip from sell recommendations to either hold or buy, and you get a huge pop in the stock. Let's move on to Fitbit. Uh, Fitbit uh, Fitbit's second quarter loss was smaller than expected. Uh, shares down a little bit more than six percent. Uh, you tell me, Emily. What what should I be thinking about Fitbit? I mean, this is one of those things where I I think if I if I have this right. Uh, they reported after the close yesterday the stock actually popped a little bit because the loss was smaller than expected. Uh, and now it's back down. <laughs> and and yeah, and then it came back to earth. So exactly. I mean, was that was that due to the conference call, or was it just sort of, sort of initial, or was it just sort of the computer said, oh, it's smaller than expected, and then actual human beings looked at it and said, ah, I still don't think I want to be owning Fitbit. I think that's part of it. I mean, it wasn't a positive earnings call, um, but I think when you get right down to the fundamentals, nothing's really changed here. Um, you know. Doom was spelled for Fitbit for a while, and I'm a biosource. I'm sitting here wearing my Fitbit myself, <laughs> um, and I've been a long-term Fitbit shareholder. Uh, but you know, looking at these earnings, it seems like they're really relying on on two things. They're relying on the sale of their smartwatches, which was over 50% for the first time of their total revenue was the sale of their smartwatches, most no notably their Versa smartwatch. So that's that's been great for them, and this. 
big data pile that they're sitting on in terms of their trackers. Um, and they've really been unable to, to do anything with that, unfortunately. I mean, they, they tried to go the way of the healthcare route, you know, saying, look at these children, for example, that are wearing these trackers. Is there something we can do to sell that information, sell that data to healthcare insurance companies that can help lower people's premiums or something along those lines? And I think the issue is that the technology's just not really there yet to really make that a viable alternative. But I think those two things are really going to define the future for Fitbit. So, in in the end, though, is do you think this is just a consumer products company, or is there that other potential down the road where they can monetize data or, or be something other than just the, 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 the nice little gadget you wear on your wrist? I, I want there to be something there. <laughs> um, like I said, I wear my Fitbit. I have been holding on to those shares. Uh, but as time goes on, the more I think that they're not going to be able to reach those lofty goals, and this might just be a consumer goods you, company. You think it gets acquired if that's the case? I think there's a chance. I don't like to make bets on acquisitions, but I do think that if ultimately what's the most valuable thing about Fitbit is their data, that an acquisition is you know probably their best opportunity. It seems like we're probably a half step closer to them being acquired, and I say that only because of the stock. I mean, the stock's down about six percent. It's basically where it was a year ago. And when I look at the stock chart, when I look at Fitbit's business, they kind of seem like they're treading water a little bit. Like they're not drowning, but they're not really swimming to shore. And so we just, I don't know, they just sort of seem to be almost in this in between zone. Yeah, exactly. I think they've thrown out some ideas, but as far as concrete steps to make those ideas a reality, there really haven't been any, which is why I say ultimately, I think after this earnings call, you know, the stock's relatively flat, and there's a reason for that. that nothing's really changed here. Before we get to more earnings, quick shout out to TD Ameritrade. You're always on the cutting edge of technology, and TD Ameritrade prides itself on being ahead of the curve, too. Their latest innovations put their resources and services on the popular platforms that you carry and use every day. And now, all you have to do is enable the TD Ameritrade skill for Amazon Alexa. Or you can message them on Facebook. You can do either of those things to stay on top of the markets. And you can learn more about their commitment to innovation simply by going to tdameritrade.com slash innovation. The war on cash continues. Square's second quarter results were good. Ron, there was a little bit of concern, or at least lip service being paid to a little bit of concern about the forecast not being amazing. But maybe the underlying results trump that just because shares of Square are up about 6% today. I'm actually happy to see that. I was I was a little concerned when I saw that the stock may trade down on these news on this news, but I thought that was a mistake. I think the strong revenue momentum in the end was more important to shareholders to investors than than the weaker than expected forecast, which really is not that big a deal. They maintained their full year EBITDA guidance. Um, they left their EPS forecast in place. Third quarter is just going to be a little wonky. It is a seasonally Quarter for them anyway. Um, this company is is the growth and the momentum is really um, what's dri been driving the stock, and and that story is definitely intact. You have transaction based revenue increasing by about thirty percent. Volume from large sellers are really driving um, these numbers, which are great to see, becoming a larger portion. Um, of of the company's um, volumes, and you know that's not to say we don't want smaller folks as well, but these these large folks really can drive those numbers. 
they've been seeking to diversify their revenue streams, um, providing more services. Uh, the three things are the omni-channel commerce, financial services, international expansion is going to be big for them. Um, so, plenty of growth coming in the future. Um, I think the company's doing a great job, and for a value investor like me, you know, don't ask me about the stock. I can't make sense of the stock, but I can tell you that they're executing really well, and the growth is impressive. Yeah, I couldn't agree with Ron more. I think the only thing I'd really add there is that what's exciting about Square and what you know some of the news might be moving towards is that larger sellers are increasingly accounting for more and more of their revenue. So they just reached fifty percent in overall volume accountable to to larger sellers, which is a a sign that you know Square maybe has some further room to run and that you know people are are using the platform and growing using the platform. I know it's early August, and so we've still got basically five months left of 2018. I'm just going to go ahead right now and uh, put my vote in for CEO of the year, Jack Dorsey. That's the, fair. The fact that Jack Dorsey has executed the way that he has at Square and at Twitter is amazing to me. And I say that as someone who was openly skeptical of him being CEO of these two companies at the same time. And I think what he's just done is is just remarkable. And it says to me, among other things, that uh, he's good at putting executive teams around him. Because there's no way you can be yep. spending all like he can't be managing every aspect of both Twitter and Square. It's it's an impressive run. I think Nadella of Microsoft might give you a run for your money, and even Cook, which uh, as we tape this, Apple has hit one trillion dollars in market cap. So a lot of good CEOs executing out there. Uh, sad, but probably not surprising news from the world of retail, and that is Brookstone filing for bankruptcy. I should point out that Brookstone um, is filing for bankruptcy for the second time in four years. Uh, <laughs> is that a problem for the for those unfamiliar? Brookstone is the specialty retailer. Uh, you might have seen them in an airport uh, now and then. They've got about a hundred uh, locations in malls. They're closing all of those. I've seen conflicting reports, Ron, about the airport locations. The initial report I saw was that they were closing everything. I saw a, another report that said that they're at least hoping to keep the airport locations. Going. Yeah, I kept seeing the word every store, all stores. It seemed pretty definitive to me. Um, I don't know where I'll go for all my goods uh, that, that vibrate and, and, <laughs> and things that fly that are you know, two inches uh, in circumference, but um, we're going to miss uh, that store. That's the only place my son would go when we're in the mall and we needed to, uh, to kill some time. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking for Slightly expensive to very expensive gadgets that nobody actually needs that are just sort of like fun, but you know, it's like impulse. But you know, we've all got that friend or family member in our life that we just think, I don't know what I'm going to buy them for their birthday or for this special occasion. So I don't know. I mean, Emily, have you, you're not going to miss Brookstone. I'm not. Um... <laughs> Although I will admit that I spent more hours than I'd like to admit sitting in their chairs after spending a long day at the mall growing up. Uh, there so, you, go. you know, if, if American malls were doing better, I'd say they should subsidize Brookstone. Uh, but I think that that ship has long sailed. Recently, bought my son one of those vibrating chair things—not the actual chair because that was too expensive. I was going to say, but what? the kind of thing where you can place on a chair, okay, and then you you sit down and it, and it vibrates. He's used it a total of once. <laughs> well, in the meantime, you can um, you know you. Can Go to Brookstone's website 
because uh, they're, as you might imagine, for a company that's uh, going into bankruptcy, they're uh, they've got some sales. So if, if, if you want to check those out. By the way, speaking of shopping, I should mention our own uh, Motley Fool podcast shop because we've been having the 25th anniversary sale at our shop. We're actually going to keep that going because nice. uh, we're going to keep that going for a little bit longer. It was for the entire month of July. We're going to keep it going uh, for this reason. Uh, the the sale proved to be so successful that we've uh, run out of a couple of things. Oh. So I've gotten an email from a couple of the listeners saying, "Hey, I wanted to order this thing. Uh, you're out of my size of T-shirt, that sort of thing." So we're we're working. On... I'm not good at running a store, Ron. That's well, what I'm saying. Well, inventory management is not your thing, clearly. <laughs> you know what? For all the times I've criticized retailers, I'm like, how come they can't get the inventory? It's coming right? back around. It's totally coming back around. So in the meantime, you can go to shop.fool.com. The 25% off everything sale is still going on, and we're we're working on the inventory. And by we, I mean me. And I apologize <laughs> profusely. Uh, Emily Flippin, Ron Gross, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.